Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and this time round we're doing two things. Two very unrelated things until actually at some point they become related. Trust me on this. We're talking about The Witcher and also Final Fantasy. So... Therefore, we're going to be talking about Polish folklore, Slavic folklore. We're going to be talking about video games, literature. Going to be talking about Japan, Poland, America. It's got everything in this particular episode. So this is a lot of fun because I get an opportunity to talk about some stuff that I really like. And it took me a while to find a way into these things, in particularly Final Fantasy. And it's one of these things where, what is history? In several of my books, I've been very pleased with this line, to be honest, which is, history is everything that happened in the world up until the start of this sentence. In other words, what it is, is like, I like doing history that's 500 years old. But when we're talking about something 40 years old, even then, that's sort of historical. It's from different eras. It's from a different generation, a different millennium, technically. So lots of interesting stuff here, both the recent history and much more ancient history as well. Let's get on with it. Yes, get on with it! The story starts on the Witcher side. Toss a coin to your Witcher. In 1992, when Andrzej Sapkowski... I have real difficulty with Polish names, so I don't know why I've decided to bite this off because I apologise to any Polish or Slavic listeners. I'm going to do my best with the names of some of these things. But in the case of Andrzej Sabowski, he is the author of The Sword of Destiny, which came out in 1992 and was the first fantasy novel to feature Geralt of Rivia, The Witcher. So there are different levels of, of mythology going on here. What the clever thing that what Andrzej did is he took the classic, stereotypical, high middle ages setting of fantasy. Think something like Lord of the Rings. Think something like Warhammer Age of Sigmar. And he added his own national twist to it which is great. It gives you something a bit different, which is important. But obviously, when it first came out, it was in Polish. And Polish literature? I've got nothing on that one for you, people. How many Polish books have you ever read? 
if you're not Polish. And so it took a while for these books to get translated, but once they did, and they got translated into dozens of languages, they became a bit of a phenomenon. They were harder-edged, more cynical fantasy coming out at about the same time, at least in the English language, as George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones books. So it sort of hit at exactly the right time and gave people more of what they wanted. But the kind of taciturn, reluctant hero is very much a cliche that's been around for a long time. It's just Geralt of Rivia is a particularly good version of the tough, reluctant man whose actions speak louder than their words ever will. And it's unsurprising that this was such a big hit that less than 10 years later, it was turned into a TV series. But wait, I hear you say, hang on, Jem. The Witcher series on Netflix came out in 2019, and you're right. But do you really think that was the first version? No, in 2001, what came out was translated as The Hexer, which was low-budget, Polish, in Polish, and is a reason why you have never seen or heard of it, because it's not good. I've seen little clips of it on YouTube, and yeah, the lead character looks like The Witcher, and that's about all you can tell about it. The budget is minuscule, and you need a big budget if you're going to have a fantasy setting. This is why things like House of Dragons, Rings of Power, Witcher, etc., these things are so expensive to produce because you need loads of CGI and different sets or locations shooting in some very specific medieval old cities and things like that. If you don't have all those things, you're basically reduced to people standing around in a forest who occasionally point off camera and go, Oh no! Something evil's heading this way! And that has limited appeal. I'm going to breeze past that, but by now what we've got is a bit of a, a cottage industry, really. It's, this is one of these things where if you create an IP and it's successful, people want more. So the first book was in 1992. The last book was in 2013. I hate to break it to you guys, but Geralt of Rivia has been killed off by Andrzej Sapowski. And the actual last book in 2013 was a prequel before all the other events. Now, in it, and it gets complicated, but in it, what happened was there was a conjunction. Basically, it was our world, and then the moon... There were slightly different versions of this, depending whether you're playing the video game, or reading the books, or looking at the TV show. But basically, there was some kind of astral conjunction, or literally the moon crashed into planet Earth, which annoyingly was actually a fantasy idea I came up with when I was in my teens. So I, I predated... Andrej on that by a long time, but hey, I didn't think to try and get it published or anything like that, so you'll have to take my word on it. Anyway, it's, a, it's kind of a clever idea. But the point is, it was normal, we can all relate to it, then there was this astral conjunction, or moonfall, and then we've now got monsters and spells and magic and stuff like that, and, and now we're centuries after that event. So yeah, the vast majority of humans just live in little villages, like they did in the medieval eras, but occasionally they might be attacked by various monsters. And to fight these monsters that are stronger, faster, more sometimes ethereal than human beings, there needed to be a certain type of person created to counter them. And they're called, confusingly, the Witchers. And that's exactly what Geralt of Rivia is. He is, in essence, a big game hunter. 
and the witches themselves are sort of semi-human. This is something where you could say maybe Andrej took something from Warhammer there, where you get things like the Space Marines, where technically they're human, but they undergo huge amounts of genetic manipulation and surgery so that they're faster and smarter than humans and more resilient than humans, and etc., etc. It's the same kind of thing with the witches. So for a really critical thing is they will work out what kind of monster they're going to be fighting and brew a potion that to a normal human would be pure poison but to them they've got the resistance of it and it'll give them the advantages so for example if they're up against a frost monster it'll give them fire so they'll be resistant to frost so it's almost like the potion will neutralize the advantages of the monster and then they go in and fight it and witches and I love this idea, have two different swords. They'll have a normal steel sword if they're fighting a human being, but they have a silver sword to fight anything unnatural, any monsters. The attention to detail, really clever ideas, but then there's also witch finders who are hunting down female wizards, which are called witches. So there's witches, witch finders, and witches, and they're all completely different. Ho-hum! He's created his own world with his own empires and things like that, and I'm just going to put it out here right now. There is a place called Nilfgaard, and I can't be the only one who, who keeps mishearing that and thinking it's a very niche type of country, but I just skim past that very quickly. Yes, yeah, so if you like, that's the appeal of it. But then we get CD Projekt Red creating The Witcher video games and they sort of grew in popularity. The first one did well, the second one did even better in 2011, and then the third one came out in 2015. So if you like, the Witcher video games were coming out towards the end of the Witcher books, but there was still overlap there, and obviously you're going to have to pay royalties to the original writer in these situations. But then in 2015 comes The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, which is where most people, including me, got into it. And Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, which came out in 2015, is just one of those absolute stone-cold classic games. I remember it came out a few months before Fallout 4. And I've always preferred the Elder Scrolls version of Bethesda's fantasy roleplay stuff, but their post-apocalyptic one. I liked Fallout 3, and I figured I'd give Fallout 4 a go because everybody was raving about it. And considering it came out in the same year, and it's still a roleplay in an open world, it was in every possible way worse than The Witcher 3. It was more buggy. It didn't look as good. The graphics simply weren't as good. And all kinds of things just made it utterly substandard and just made The Witcher 3 shine with a greater polish than anything else. And the great thing about The Witcher 3 and what CD Projekt Red was so good at was they kept adding content and kept adding content and it was free. Eventually the Blood and Wine DLC did come out and you did have to buy that, but it was about 25 hours of extra content. That's as long as your average first-person game. First-person shooters usually have some kind of online multiplayer which you can play forever, but basically single-player, I should say, rather than first-person. If you get 20 hours out of it, you think you're doing a good job. This is just downloadable content. This is just an, an additional bit which goes on for 25 hours on top of the original 
And so CD Projekt Red could do no wrong, which meant that when they announced that they were going to be doing Cyberpunk, everybody was super excited, and that did not go well. And that's a whole other story for another time. But in terms of Witcher 3, CD Projekt Red showed everybody else how money-grabbing they were, how games as a service was coming into a thing and sort of killing off the idea of actually having games that are complete, that actually have an interesting story, all of this stuff, great, great, great. But what I particularly loved about it is it had so many different endings because there's your relationship with the various women, including Yennefer, who's a witch and is sort of his long lost love. But there's also Triss as well, which he also has a soft spot for. So which one are you going to pick out of this? And critically, Siri. This is all down to Siri, which is the same in the actual TV show on Netflix as well. Siri is a young woman who has magical abilities, turns out she's partly elven, more on elves later, and she becomes the adopted daughter of Geralt. So he's trying to look after her, even though he's not exactly a great dad, and he's doing the best he can, but he's just not really that kind of person. And so there are times when you're playing Siri, times when you're playing as Geralt, and it's just a marvellous thing. So What's going to happen to Ciri at the end of the video game? What's going to happen to the Witcher himself, Geralt, in terms of his relationships and where he sits? And then there's the bigger political situation, the empires clashing with each other, etc. And I remember when I got to the end, end, I was very pleased that Ciri became a Witcher. I settled down with Yennefer and basically the empire continued. But there are nine, 12 different endings, and it had amazing side stories. There's this one about this bloody baron, and he's being haunted by this ghost of an unborn child, which is something else we're kind of going to touch upon a little bit later on. And basically, at the end of this story where you think you're doing the right thing, there are a number of occasions where I think I'm doing the right thing. I think I'm making the situation better, but very bad things happen at the end of it. It was a very mature. All of this stuff is very mature. The Netflix series is rated 18 for very good reasons. Same thing with the video game. This is all dark fantasy rather than more like Lord of the Rings, which is a bit more hopeful, a bit more upbeat, and there's a lot less swearing in Lord of the Rings. So, that's The Witcher and The Witcher Games. And, and going into the TV series, Netflix clearly wanted to have its own Game of Thrones. It was hugely popular. People don't like the ending. I actually think it's fine, but that's a different story. The point is, everybody wanted their high fantasy. So Netflix ended up doing The Witcher, and indeed Amazon spent an insane amount of money creating Rings of Power. And as I've mentioned in the past, Apple seems to have gone down the route more of sci-fi rather than fantasy, although there was that two-series thing called C, where everybody's blind except for one child, starring Jason Momoa. Okay, you do you. Nobody talks about C. That's S-E-E, -E, not just the letter. So, with The Witcher TV series, a huge amount of money was spent on it, and it got great reviews. And also Henry Cavill, who'd been messed around backwards and forwards. Is he Superman? Is he not Superman? He's definitely The Witcher. But after three series, The Witcher has been spun off into cartoons, animated stories. It's also been various ancient prequels, starring Michelle Yeoh and, and various other spin-offs. It's now a brand name on Netflix, and they're 
milking it for all it's worth, to be blunt. But after three series, Henry Cavill is going over to Amazon to do some Warhammer stuff. I know, isn't it all this stuff weirdly interconnected? Okay, so Henry Cavill's over at Amazon, so they now need to find a new Witcher, and apparently it's going to be one of the Hemsworths, and that's going to happen at some point. Now, you might be thinking, Jem, why didn't you release this when the most recent series of Witcher came out, or indeed when Final Fantasy XVI came out? And the answer is there was so much happening in the summer of 2023, I just needed to take some time to fit all this together, but also... I realised, once I started playing Final Fantasy XVI, it's like, oh, hang on, this is all connected. So, I, like I say, I promise there's going to be some old history coming up, or old folklore, that might be the more appropriate phrase for it. But in the meantime, let's now segue almost seamlessly into the world of Final Fantasy, which was created by Hironobu Sakaguchi in 1987. Now, this is not based on any books. This is There is no previous IP. But basically, Sakaguchi created it for the Nintendo Famicom, which was the first Nintendo games console which used discs rather than cartridges, so it could hold more data. That's the critical thing. But... Why is it called Final Fantasy, and isn't it a bit insane to have a Final Fantasy 16 out there? Well, the reason for this was basically they wanted that several things were happening. So first of all, Sakaguchi worked for this company called Square Enix, which still exists today and is doing very well quite nicely. But Square Enix was teetering on the brink of bankruptcy. So this could have been the final game, but also... Sakaguchi had a love of all these fantastical things. This predates The Witcher, but stuff like Lord of the Rings, Dungeons and Dragons, etc. And so he wanted to pull all of his imagination, all of his love for fantasy together, and this might well be his last roll of the dice to create a game, so this is why it's called Final Fantasy. Apparently, originally, they wanted to call it fighting fantasy, but the problem with that is that already existed. That was a brand created by Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston, and if you're in Britain at least, you may remember the fighting fantasy books, you know, things like Death Track Dungeon and Forest of Doom and all the other good ones. Warlock of Firetop Mountain was the first one, okay? Now, I've mentioned this before, but Steve Jackson, Ian Livingston, yeah, they created these amazing books that revolutionised children's literature, at least in England. I'm aware that these choose-your-own-adventure type books had existed in America beforehand, but this was the British version. Bit darker, bit edgier, better, basically. And, on top of that, they were both two out of the three founders of Games Workshop. You know, Warhammer. So, there it is again popping up. But also, I have to shout out that Ian Livingston's he did a brilliant job with these books, he did a brilliant job with Games Workshop, and then he moved off and created a video game company called Eidos, and he created the thing that you might have heard of called Lara Croft Tomb Raider. So, oh my goodness, how many different amazing areas of creativity did Ian Livingston do? I've actually managed to communicate with him a tiny bit on Twitter. He seems a really nice guy, living his best life. Good for you, Mr. Livingston. So, that's why they couldn't call it Final Fantasy. But then we've got the idea of Final Fantasy is a JRPG. J-Japanese RPG role-playing game. So something like Dungeons & Dragons is a definitive role-playing game. And then you get things like Warhammer, which is sometimes referred to as a TTRPG, which is tabletop role-playing game. 
although it's more of a war game. Anyway, that's a different story. So the point is, there is a wonderful discussion about what is the difference between a Western video game that's a role-playing game and the JRPG, the Japanese ones, what makes them distinctly Japanese. And it's interesting that even though we're in 2023 and the first Final Fantasy came out in 1987, so even though many years, many decades have passed since then, what's fascinating to me is the DNA can be taken all the way through. But it does, interestingly, Final Fantasy XVI does break a key rule of JRPGs. Now, let's go back to the first one. And don't worry, I'm not going to give you a summary of all 16, okay? You can calm down. But what makes an RPG a JRPG? Obviously, it needs to be made in Japan, except nowadays some Western ones deliberately mimic it. So that's not necessarily a thing. And so what we've got now is... In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. At the time, they only had discs with Nintendo, and it was very, very limited space. So because of that, they couldn't have a lot of sprites bouncing around, jumping up and down, all this kind of stuff, because there just wasn't enough memory for that. Instead, they had turn-based combat. So it is time for Cloud to do his action, and you'd click on the action you want them to do, attack, and then it might be Red 13, their turn, and they might be click on them to heal the rest of the party. So you have a party, usually three people, interacting against the enemies and 
all the action is turn-based. That was the, the same in Final Fantasy 1, all the way through into Final Fantasy 13, into the 2000s. So it was just the standard way to do it, whereas a lot of the Western ones tended to use a different format, tended to be more real-time strategy, RTS kind of thing, or maybe even just an action chopping type game thing, Diablo, if that's your thing. So that's one thing. The other thing is they have huge epic stories. This is not low-key. The thing about The Witcher is, yes, there are sort of weird, fantastical things jumping around all over the place, and in the background, empires clash, etc., but fundamentally The Witcher is just trying to weave his way around the obstacles and just try and have a quiet life. With Final Fantasy, you always end up being swept up with these huge events. Sometimes you are literally fighting gods. Sometimes you turn into a god. All kinds of crazy stuff happens in these Final Fantasies. They are melodramatic, they are huge, and always, always the central hero has big floppy spiky hair. The more luscious the hair, the better the Final Fantasy it is. So all these things together give it a distinct feel and flavour, as opposed to, and also cutscenes. Obviously, the technology has changed over the years, but at the time, these are some of the sharpest computer animation you can get on a video game, and you may play a level where you fought for, let's say, half an hour, and then you'll be treated at the end of the level to literally 10 or 15 minutes of you just sitting there watching a cutscene. Which can send some people insane. If you have young children, it's like, when do I get to save? My child is crying. Okay, I'm going to have to just let this run and miss what's going on. I remember once, in one Final Fantasy, it's like, oh, here they are sitting in a room talking. I get the idea. And then just clicked cutscene, just to skip past it. And suddenly I'm in a huge battle. And it's because clearly the conversation might have started in a room, but then they were under attack by you know, huge fiery things. And so suddenly I've got no context. I'm not quite sure what's going on. And so I've never skipped a cutscene ever. Sometimes I might look at my phone. Sometimes I might get a bit annoyed and sort of wander off. You know, there's only so much heightened melodrama that you can have. With Final Fantasy XIII, there was basically a husband and wife team. They're clearly being married allegedly for years, a few years, not like 50, but more like three or four. But the wife didn't half look like a teenage girl in some slightly sort of Japanese styling of a, of a Japanese schoolgirl. Really problematic, but it's never rude rude, not like The Witcher, where you can literally date some people. Doesn't really work like that. And so I have made passing reference to some names, and therefore Final Fantasies 1 through to 6, they were big hits to the people who knew what they were. All of them being massive hits in Japan, but Final Fantasy, the first one, was not a huge hit in America or Europe, for example. I'm not sure when it even came out in those countries. But once we get to Final Fantasy VI, it's starting to get better known. But they pushed hard the marketing for Final Fantasy VII. And for a lot of people, number seven was the first one they were aware of, because that was the first one that made it onto the original PlayStation. Hello, that'll be me, okay? I'm now very interested in Final Fantasy, and I remember playing through Final Fantasy VII, even though I was a young man in my 20s, potentially going out dating and going to pubs and clubs and all that kind of good stuff, trying to build a career, but I was absolutely captivated by Final Fantasy VII. And when 
Aerith, this is a spoiler for something that happened 20 years ago, give or take, but when Aerith is killed by Sephiroth, this is the girl, that this very sweet flower girl that was your healer in the party, I, like everybody else, the first time that happened was devastated. And today, in 2023, they're starting to remake Final Fantasy VII with several different video games. And the big question amongst all the diehard fans, including myself, is will there be a way to resurrect Aerith? Because her dying and never being able to get her back again is probably the most shocking, heart-wrenching moment in video games I have ever come across. Any time subsequent a beloved character has died, it's like, yeah, that's really sad. But the first time it happens... You never forget your first time, do you? The thing is, some of them, like the first one, for example, like a lot of the early ones pre-Final Fantasy VII, are set in a high fantastical world. Kings, queens, castles, dragons, magic, etc. Final Fantasy VII was very much a sort of cyberpunk thing. I love the bit where Cloud, the hero, big floppy blonde hair, massive, massive sword as long as him, clearly impossible for him to hold, but he does it anyway because he's Cloud. And I remember when he's escaping Midgar, which is a huge technologically industrial type city, on his motorbike. It doesn't get more kind of steampunky, cyberpunky cool than that. And lots of them are like that and have that aesthetic. So therefore, the interesting thing about Final Fantasy 16 is we are back to pure fantasy. Nobody's got any guns, no cars, nothing like that. And the thing is, the central protagonist is this moody taciturn person with a dark past etc and hidden talents within him and as i was playing it it just dawned on me final fantasy 16 all of these final fantasies take years to build because they are such huge efforts just the cutscenes alone will take a few years to actually direct but then you've got the actual game systems etc and i have to point out every single one is different if you played Final Fantasy VII, that's not going to help you in Final Fantasy VIII. They are different characters in different places. So what links them? Well, certain things, like the use of summons. They're called different things in different situations, but Ifrit in Final Fantasy XVI is almost like a Balrog, and is sinister, if you like, whereas in other ones a bit more cartoony, a bit more fun to just summon. You can become Ifrit in... Final Fantasy 16, so it's a very different feel. And then there's the chocobos, which are basically large chickens. And sometimes you race them, like in Final Fantasy 7. In this one, you can ride one. They can also attack you. So there are certain elements, certain feels, certain idents that appear in each one, but they are always remixed in a different way. And no, you don't get recurring characters. You sometimes get the name and a sort of support person, like Sid, for example. There was a great Sid in Final Fantasy VII. There's a great Sid in Final Fantasy XVI. But Sid is not obliged to turn up in every single Final Fantasy. And also, they look quite different. And they have different backgrounds and so on and so forth. This kind of gruff, helpful, sidekick kind of person. So there is DNA that connects them, but absolutely you can play them in any order in any way. But all of these are huge epic games like The Witcher 3. And in the case of Final Fantasy 16, 50 hours to finish it, 80 hours to do everything in it. You're going to get your money's worth with that. But the thing is, as I started playing Final Fantasy 16, it was about the same time as The Witcher series came out of Series 3 on Netflix. And I thought, oh... Because this has taken so long to do, clearly 2015 is when The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt was a huge hit. 
I think that Square Enix has made the Final Fantasy version of The Witcher to the point where, literally at points, do you remember what I said earlier about hunting down monsters? There's literally a job where there's a message board where you can hunt down obscure monsters and take them down, you earn various credits for it and so on and so forth, and renown, actual reputation points going up as well. And, quite frankly, the central character... Also, like Geralt, they're both moody and they're gravelly-voiced and they don't seem to talk much and they go all the time rather than have big, long conversations. Sadly, this is the first... I mean, all of them are riffing off other things you've seen before, be it Blade Runner, be it Lord of the Rings, etc. Why not riff off The Witcher? But it is a little disappointing that it's kind of so obvious. But the thing that makes me laugh is in Europe, we tend to think that things from Asia and Japan are quite exotic. So... 1988, the definitive anime movie, Akira. Akira is quite an unusual name. People generally aren't called Akira in England. But Akira in Japan, it's a bit like John or Simon. The idea is it's such an average name. It's not an unusual name in any way. But what's amusing is it obviously works the other way around because I've just went, you know, there's Geralt of Rivia, the tough witcher, etc. And I've said that this also has a tough guy with floppy hair and he's moody, but he's very powerful. Take care of him. And you, you take care of her too, boy. And his name is Clive. I cannot think of another mega hero called Clive. And he has friends called Sid and Gav. And he has a girl that he's quite into called Jill. These are the names of people who should be in EastEnders, not Lord of the Rings. And it's just amusing. Like, All right, Gav, it's like... Uh, you should be in a greasy spoon with a Ford Transit outside it. You, you shouldn't be in a high fantasy world. But hey-ho, they are definitely European names. So yeah, I've been playing Clive for tens, dozens of hours. Being Clive. And Jill. I, I like Jill too. She's, she's lovely. But a very sort of Japanese version of what a Western woman looks like. And I have to say, these are achingly beautiful games. But... If you may remember, the critical thing was turn-based combat. That's part of JRPG. This isn't. Again, like The Witcher, this is an action game. Everything happens in real time. To dodge, you literally have to move out the way as the big club swings at you. So it's a big change for Final Fantasies, and I'm not sure I like it. At least with the Final Fantasy VII remake, because obviously there is now enough graphical fidelity and enough memory in these things that you don't need to do turn-based, but that's kind of what you're paying for. And the thing I loved about the Final Fantasy VII remake is you could do both. And actually, the best way to play the game was sometimes set yourself up with some pre-recorded things to do, but then spend part of the time actually live-actioning it and moving around in time. And I loved that system. I like this system, but the problem with it is... There are some magic items that make it really easy. So basically they want you to get to the end of the story. So there's an amulet that you all you have to do is push square and it does all the tricky moves for you. And I accidentally put it on. And after that, it's like, wow, I'm amazing. You know, the graphics, the particle effects, the whooshy magic as I'm zooming around being a demigod, slaying all this stuff. That's amazing. But then I realized after a few hours, I was like, this is really boring. I'm just hitting the same button and just, just melting everything in front of me. But there's also a part of me going, yeah, but if I take it off, it's there. The creators put it there. Why wouldn't I use it? And it's almost like I'm putting it on deliberately hard mode if I take it off. And yes, there are some other amulets that will do other cool things like get experience quicker, etc. But this thing about video games, you play it the way you want to. And I have to say, Final Fantasy 16, I'm enjoying it. It's gorgeous. 
but Final Fantasy VII Remake, better. Simple as that. So, there we go. Now, I have rambled on about video games for an inordinate amount of time, but we have gone through about 40 years almost of video games and the evolution of how people have been using video games over that time. So, it's pop culture history, video game history. Now let's move on to Back to the Witcher and little bits of Final Fantasy XVI with some of the things they fight. So the thing about a video game to do with Lord of the Rings or Warcraft or Warhammer is there are certain things you're going to fight. Trolls, orcs, etc. All these things exist. So what's nice, as I said about The Witcher, is they don't go there. For starters, Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt. The Wild Hunt is something in the video game that chases you down. These kind of supernatural warriors clad in full plate armor. They're terrifying and kind of unstoppable. And I remember the final fight with their boss. Oh, that was so satisfying and exciting as you jump through various different portals from smashing each other to pieces. Great stuff! But the Wild Hunt is one of these examples of not so much Slavic, but Northern European. Some of these are specifically Slavic. Some of these, like I say, just spread into Scandinavia or into Finland or wherever. And so the idea of the Wild Hunt is they are supernatural hunters on horseback, which quite often jump through space and time or, or only appear at night time. And because these are made up stories and myths, so who's riding with them varies depending on which culture's telling it. And sometimes it's literally Odin, you know, the guy in charge of all the Viking gods or the devil. Or I like this more religious one, like the devil, Cain. Remember? Cain and Abel and Cain slew Abel. Cain is the first murderer forever cursed. Love that idea. So the idea is, and remember, if you're living in Northern Europe in, let's say, 1100, when it's dark, it gets really dark. And you're surrounded by a sea of forest, dark forest, with real threats in it. Wolves, bears, snakes, etc. All these things could get you, as well as more human things like bandits and robbers. It was a scary time. So if you were to hear some hoof prints in the middle of the night, it wouldn't be hard to turn around and say, oh, be careful, it's the wild hunt. Because even if it isn't the wild hunt, who's running around in the middle of the night? Some ne'er-do-well, potentially. So there we go. The wild hunt is a real Scandinavian or Slavic or Finnish type thing. But specifically Finnish, I've got to say, is we've got... Apologies, my Finnish ain't great either. <laughs> and I've really picked a tough one here. It's called Akiko Moroko, and in Wild Hunt, it's called Kiko Moras. So the, the first thing I said was Finnish for literally scarecrow. But in the case of Kiko Moras, it's the same word, and it's used in various Northern European cultures. And the idea is this is kind of like a female spirit trapped in your home. Sometimes they're actually there for good. You know, they are sort of scratching around and doing low hums, but they're scaring away stuff that's even worse. But they can also be a threat there. The idea is that they take the form of an ethereal infant, like a little girl, something like that. Sounds terrifying, doesn't it? But weirdly, in the TV show, the Kikamoras is the first thing that he slays in the first episode. And it's kind of like a giant spider thing with a human face and he's fighting in a swamp. So it's not specifically in a house. So they've gone very different with it. But again, things that go bump in the night, it's not hard to connect that to spooky goings on. And you can see why that gets turned into folklore. But it's very different to your average orcs and stuff like that. But then we've got, and I've mentioned this before with John Wick, we've got Baba Yaga. These are witches with elongated arms, very ugly. But critically, Baba Yaga, she has a house. 
and the house is on giant chicken legs so she can move around the forests. And when she finds people, she eats them, particularly children. She's a cannibal. And you can get the idea of Hansel and Gretel, obviously, is a side shoot of that particular myth and folklore and turned into a children's story. Again, this idea of this lone shack in the middle of the forest with, a, with an old woman in it. Maybe she's just an old woman, but you can see how old superstitious societies can start playing tricks on the mind. Then you've got a Striga. This is an unborn child that stayed alive after the mother died. And this is like a vampiric demon type spirit. In the case of the Kikimoris, that was might possibly be good news. Maybe, but with the Striga, it's just flat out evil. It is an evil, malevolent, vampiric spirit that's gonna get you. So these are very different types of creatures to what was created in, let's say, Anglo-Saxon England. You get the idea of fairies and elves. In English terms, fairies and elves were little things that lived in the forest that sort of flew away. They, they were malevolent again. They could sort of trick people, lead people into swamps and things like that. That's where you get Will-O-The-Wisp, which is actually swamp gas. Some swamps produce methane and it ignites and it looks like there's sort of weird, wispy, ethereal forms in the swamp and actually what you're doing is just getting deeper into the swamp so that's how a real event from geology can turn into a folklore the grown-up elves as tall humans with pointy ears was kind of created by tolkien it wasn't there a thousand years ago so tolkien himself did come up with some interesting stuff too and then the final one i'm going to mention is the doppler which in German is Doppelganger and actually is something that made it straight into Dungeons and Dragons. Some people might even know the term is not widely used, but it is used in general conversation. A doppelganger is somebody who looks like you. And that's exactly what this creature from folklore is. It is a creature, a formless creature that takes the form of a person and then might try and kill them to replace them within society. The whole idea of who is my enemy perfect during things like the northern crusades when the inquisition was riding through and also teutonic knights killing you who's a good guy who's a bad guy who can tell who's a doppelganger so with all that in mind this has been a really fun one a really different one hope you've enjoyed things like the slavic culture there northern european stuff and a bit of video game history as well let me know what you think i'm at gem on twitter and threads like i'm not sure how long i'm gonna go on with threads it's not exactly growing i'm not sure how many times i can be threading out to just three followers hey ho but let me know what you think give me ideas all this stuff i great gratefully received and as always another episode coming soon Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.